if you take a baby pig and on top of the milk it's getting from its mother, you also give it artificial milk in a bottle, it will grow more. So it's telling us, well, this piglet has a growing capacity that is greater than what it's doing consuming the milk that the sow is giving. So the sow milking is actually limiting growth rate of the piglets. So basically, that's what I'm focusing now, is trying to increase the milk till the other sows so that the piglets grow more. Then obviously, they are more resistant, they're more vigorous, they take less days to reach market, and so on and so forth. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swinet Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like... Swine Veterinary Partners is comprised of four clinics across Canada that specialize in swine health, management, research, and development. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Columbus, your host for today's Swinet Canada podcast. With me today, I have Dr. Chantelle Farmer, who is a research scientist in sow lactation biology at the Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, Sherbrooke Research and Development Centre. Uh, how are you today, Chantelle? I am great. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's especially good for me because this is being my first uh, podcast show. I'm, I'm very glad to have one of my favorite scientists uh, with me here to have a have a discussion. I know we had some great discussions in the past, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know it might be hard to believe, uh, but some of our audience may not be familiar with you. So uh, before we start, uh, I, about today's topic, I'll have you just introduce yourself and give a little bit of, of background of where you've been and, and where you're going. Okay, well, basically, I'm a city girl. I come from Montreal City, so it's <laughs> quite amazing where I am ended up. But I've done a bachelor degree at McGill University in animal science. Then I've done my master's at the University of Saskatchewan. I was a first graduate student at the Prairie Swine Center, so a couple of years ago. <laughs> And then I moved on to Penn State in the U.S. to do my Ph.D., looking at endocrinology and piglet survival and colostrum and milk composition. And I was lucky to be on a wonderful program where they hired me while I was a graduate student to come back and work for Agriculture Canada. So when I finished in 1986, I already had a job waiting for me at Sherbrooke, and I've been there ever since. So... <laughs> It's a very easy uh, professional <laughs> professional experience. So uh, when I started working, I, my goal was always to increase sawmill yield. And I also wanted to uh, increase fetal development and decrease piglet mortality. And in the past 20 years or so, I've really, really focused on increasing sawmill yield. And by using, in fact, one factor that's quite important and that was mostly forgotten, and that's memory development. So if I want to start at the beginning, we know that now piglets do not consume enough milk. If you take a baby pig 
And on top of the milk it's getting from its mother, you also give it artificial milk in a bottle. It will grow more. So it's telling us, well, this piglet has a growing capacity that is greater than what it's doing consuming the milk that the sow is giving. So the sow milking is actually limiting growth rate of the piglets. So basically, that's what I'm focusing now, is trying to increase the milk till the other sows so that the piglets grow more. Then obviously, they are more resistant, they're more vigorous, they take less days to reach market, and so on and so forth. So about 20 years ago, I started looking at mammary development because it's known, and it makes a lot of sense, that the number of mammary cells that are present at the beginning of lactation will have a great impact on the optimal milk yield, the potential for the amount of milk produced. And I mean, I mean, obviously it makes sense. The more milk synthesizing cells that the sow has, the greater her milking potential. But how do we go about increasing or maximizing that number of cells that can synthesize milk? So you need to look at when there is any type of mammary development first in the pig. And that's actually in three stages of the life of the pig. So mammary development at birth, there's nothing going on. But at 90 days of age, up to puberty, is the first phase where you see some mammary development. Then you meet, you mate the animal, and at the end of gestation, the last third, so again, the word, the numbers, I mean, nine, zero, 90 is important. So 90 days of gestation to farrowing is the second time where you have rapid mammary development, and then in lactation. Why do I bother telling you these stages? Because three times zero gives zero. It doesn't matter what you do to an animal that has no mammary development. It will stay like this. Give it any hormone, give it any amino acid, any energy, whatever. It, it won't do a thing because there's nothing going on. But if you have some mammary development, then oh, you can make the slope steeper with nutrition, hormonal treatment, whatever. So that's why it's so interesting. As a scientist, I don't care as much about the lactation period because I want the animal to start lactation already with a maximal number of milk synthesizing cells. So I've done research focusing on this pre-pubertal period and the late gestation period. I could tell you a lot of things which would take a lot of time, but what I want to focus on today is that late gestation period, which in fact uh, gave us some very, very interesting results uh, recently. Am I rambling on too much or this? <laughs> no, no, it's it's good. I mean, th this is all good information. I know you have have uh, an entire career worth of this uh, research going on. Very, very good research. So uh, I think our audience will be interested in anything you you want to you want to all the. Well, I think those last results are very, very interesting. So that's why I'm focusing on that right away. And then we can talk about other things if you want. But I think that that's most important for producers. In that period from day 90 of gestation to farrowing, if you increase energy to high levels, it doesn't have any beneficial effect. In fact, it may even have a negative effect because it has, if the animal is too fat, then it will have a bad effect in terms of mammary development. But then when you look at other things such as protein, and more specifically, the amino acid lysine, then it gets interesting. There was a study done where they increased lysine by 40%. They did not 
look at memory development, but then they looked at growth rate of the piglet and they saw significant increase in the average daily gain of the suckling piglets. So one reason for that would be that in that crucial late gestation period, memory development could have been stimulated. So what I've done is, again, and that study was done by Che and Collaborator, published in 2019. So then I've done a project using the same treatment. 40% increase in lysine during the critical period from day 90 of gestation to farrowing. I've done this increase by giving more of soybean meal, which contains a lot of lysine. And when I increase lysine in that specific period, and then I utilize the animals on day 110 of gestation, collected the mammary tissue, did a dissection, then looked at composition, weighed the amount of parenchymal tissue, which is a good tissue where you do see milk being synthesized. That's where things got really interesting. That milk synthesizing tissue was increased in terms of weight of that tissue by 44% when you do a 40% increase in lysine. That's a one-to-one ratio. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. So 40% more lysine, 44% more of that good milk synthesizing tissue. And this really tells producers this was done on primiparous animals. Again, that's very, very important because I'm now doing a study on multiparous to see if the same thing happens. And it may not because you don't have the same type of animal. The primiparous is still growing, which is not the case with the multiparous. But now what it tells us is in that primiparous animal, when you have gestation, phase feeding is actually beneficial. As of 90 days of age, if you can increase soybean meal to increase lysine, it will stimulate mammary development. So milk yield and growth rate of the piglets when it follows. So those are very interesting results. And right now there are come, well, there's one company in particular that I will not name that's doing a study with 100 animals treated and 100 controls. Obviously not slaughtering the animals, letting them farrow and looking at growth rate of the piglets to make sure that that effect is seen again with a large number of animals because we can only use 20 some controls and 20 some treated and in the research situation where we actually slaughter the animals to look at mammary tissue. But basically, yes, it's beneficial. And now what needs to be done, and which I'm doing right now, first is to see, okay, multiferrous animal, do we see the same thing? I will know that in six months. And then the next question is soybean meal. Okay, I increase soybean meal to increase by 40% lysine, but soybean meal contains other things. Obviously, if I increase lysine, I also increase other amino acids. I also increase protein. So we have to make sure it's the lysine that has an effect. So right now, we've just almost finished mating the animals to be able to look at increasing lysine through more soybean meal or by just giving crystalline lysine in itself or increasing protein a whole protein, by putting more casein in the feed. So we will be able to say, is it soybean, is it lysine, or is it just a fact that it's a protein? My gut is telling me it's lysine, but we need to prove it. So that's coming eventually. But basically, I'm telling producers now that their first parity sows 
need to be fed differently as of 90 days of gestation to really help production of, you know, mammary tissue. Hey, that's, in, that's incredible. Like you said, if it is just lysine and it's a one-to-one, uh, I, I mean, that would be, to me, that's unexpected because you generally don't get that kind of a, a, an, an effect of a single amino acid being added. Uh, I, do you have, um, do you have thoughts as to what you think the, the mechanism behind that would be that the additional lysine is completely like being used completely and, you know, is, is going towards that memory development? Well, we know that lysine is the most essential amino acid in swine. So all I can think of is that in terms of mammary tissue, there needs to be more amino uh, lysine taken up by the mammary gland than what our current recommendations. So basically right now, there's kind of an underestimation of the lysine requirement for the mammary gland development in a gestation. So this is something else that I will keep working on with Leanne Uber at the University of Guelph, uh, looking more specifically at the lysine aspect and those response studies and how it may be working. So We'll be able to answer more of that question in two years or so. <laughs> right now, I simply I think it just it's taken up by mammary tissue to a greater extent than uh, what do you have? Well, we'll have, we'll have to have you back on in yeah. two years. Yeah, and yeah. is also have. really good. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think this is a very interesting thing, and it's something that I've I've questioned too, and a lot of it comes from. Uh, the the idea of bump feeding in weight gestation and how you know there it's so controversial and most people are saying you know it doesn't do anything but how much of it is because we're not needing to adjust the amount of feed but what's in the feed so this is seems like a first step towards you know redefining or or, or recharacterizing the the nutrient requirements of of a sow. Yep, I'm in total agreement with you, Dan. <laughs> exactly, it's not the whole amount of feed. It's what's in it that's important. Yep. You had said something when you were talking about some of the earlier work that you were doing where um, uh, the pig, piglets we know don't eat enough because if you fed them more, then they'll grow more. So I'm wondering if you've done uh, stuff or have any thoughts on what is the difference or contribution between the amount of milk pr- provided and the the uh, composition of the milk provided and, and if you're working. Well, I haven't done specific studies of that, but I've read a lot. And basically, it's mainly the most important factor is the amount. More important than the composition. So, well, obviously, uh, there's a relation between lactose and the amount of milk produced. But the composition of the milk comes second to the amount of milk being ingested. Well, really, the most important thing to try to do is to maximize how much milk is being produced by the sow. And another project I'm thinking on that is also really interesting is uh, the use of teats in first parity. A lot of producers have small gilts, and when they farrow, when they have a lot of piglets, then they realize, oh my goodness, these animals are so thin that if I let them have a first lactation with so many piglets, they will lose too much weight in lactation and it will decrease longevity in the herd. I will have to get rid of them. And they're right. So basically, you know, they've been asking me, can I just get rid of some of these piglets, pull them out and give, a, you know, some of these animals a break? 
give let her have less piglets than the number of feet she has. And a few years ago, I couldn't answer that question until I designed a study to specifically answer that. So what I've done is I've done a study where in first lactation, I have taped some teeth and I left some teeth untaped. So I had six piglets and I had six teeth available, six good piglets, six good teeth. And then I came in second lactation I had, again, six good piglets, but they either had access to teeth that were used in previous lactation, or they had access to the other teeth. So I either taped the same teeth as I did in first lactation, or the other teeth. And then I compared growth rate between these teeth, suckling a teeth used before or not used before, and looked at, is there a difference? And it's really amazing, because the answer is yes, there is a difference. They start with a similar birth weight. Then as time goes on in lactation, there's a greater and greater difference in weight. And when they reach day 56, then it's a significant difference. Significant difference in weight, and it's a 1.12 kilogram difference. So now I can tell producers, yes, it's important to have all the teats used in prosperity if you want these teats to produce a maximal amount of milk in the next parity. And then again, I was all happy with that result. And I went to the London Swine Conference, gave that talk. And I like talking to producers. They come up with great questions. So this guy raises his hand and he said, yes, but how long do piglets need to suckle that teeth in the first lactation? And I thought, that is a great question. So then I did a study. And I had animals in first parity with either a two-day lactation, seven-day lactation, or 21-day lactation. And then in a second parity, everybody had a 21-day lactation. And then I know, I tried to see, are there differences in weight gains of these piglets, depending on the lactation length in parity 1? And the answer is no. So two days of lactation in first parity is enough. Leaving the piglets on for 7 days or 21 days is not more beneficial than having them there for two days. So now I can go back. And tell that producer, now I have the answer to your question. Yes, you need to leave the piglets on the teats for the, in the first parity, but two days is enough. If you have a guilt that's really thin, you don't want to you know, burden her too much with giving too much milk and lactation, on day three of lactation, come get rid of some piglets. And in the next lactation, everything will be fine. So this again is a, in a way, study I thought was really, really interesting. And when you looked at mammary tissue, I looked at the, at the end of lactation. I utilized the animal, the sows, looked at mammary tissue. And yes, 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 there was a significant difference in terms of this good milk synthesizing the parenchymal tissue. So it's not just a fluke that the piglets were greater. No, there was more milk synthesizing tissue in these animals. And there were more cells, more DNA in this tissue. So definitely... Something was happening because a teeth had been used in previous lactation. Lactation biology is really interesting. <laughs> well, I, I assume you wouldn't have spent a career studying it if it wasn't interesting. So. <laughs> to me, anyway, I'm very biased, but I like it. Yeah. yeah. No, but I, I think it is definitely a, a, an interesting topic. I don't personally know <laughs> much when I go into it. I leave that up to the experts like you. 
Uh, but I, I do think it's interesting, especially from that early life and how are we impacting the piglet and also how the sow and how that is impacting uh, her subsequent uh, performance. So I think I do think it's it, it's very interesting that it has to be used, but it doesn't have to be used for very long. Uh, you know, you would think that it's like the the more you'd use, the better it would get. So I, I find that that very interesting so i was going to say the reverse is also being very interesting the involution process that in lactation if you have a gland that is not used within three days it's involuted and no more involution takes place later on within three days it's done and then the whole cycle starts again in the next gestation you know regardless of when this involution took place but it leads us again to say that suckling of a gland by piglets is essential for the maintenance of its function. So obviously, if you have a teeth that is not being suckled after three days, that's the end of it. Don't even try to put a piglet on it. It will not give milk. After two days, yes, it will give milk, but to a lesser extent than if it had been used all the time. So this involution process is really interesting, and it happens... At weaning, in all the animals, starts at really three days, and at seven days it's complete. And the next gestation, the whole thing starts over again. The last third of gestation, memory development takes place. So it's a, it's a really nice process. And uh, anyway, it's uh, now we work a lot with the gilts, but then as I'm doing with the lysine study, we also need to move on with the multiparous because that first gestation where it's the first mammary development compared to second or third gestation where there has already been mammary development that took place. Well, does it mean that the requirements are different in those cases? We don't know yet the answer to that question. Um, I was just thinking when it came to the, you know, making sure that in that, that uh, guild with her first litter, making sure that the, the, the piglets are suckling every teat to make sure that they're functional, does that have to happen in the subsequent uh, litters as well? Like, or do you have like a teat that will then fail if it's not suckled in, in, su- in the subsequent uh, lactation? I have no idea about the subsequent lactation. <laughs> what I'm sure of is that it's most important in that first time because there was never any development. So it's the first time that the gland is used, the first time the piglets are suckling it. So... If I was to guess, I would guess that in second parity, it would not be as great an effect. It may still be there, but it may not be as important. But in that first lactation, it's uh, it's crucial. But then again, it's it's a guess. <laughs> I have no idea. It's more difficult. Sounds like another study to do. <laughs> exactly. I just... And I was guess- it's more difficult to do studies with multiparous animals, obviously, because you don't have a lot of them around and then you know you have to slaughter them so it's uh, it's more difficult we work more with guilt but yep more studies need to be done <laughs> it's that, it just to be in my head i'm thinking it would be interesting to know if you have your your multi-parous animals that don't necessarily need all every pig suckling to cross foster from them onto a guilt that might have a smaller litter and make sure that everything is used in that first one and, and kind of maximize her right, and put the efforts on her. Yep, that could be a way of doing it. However, right now, 
we kind of have a reverse problem where even guilds have too many piglets. <laughs> so a lot of the time you look in your farrowing house and there's more piglets than teeth. So then you're kind of stuck. You don't necessarily have to give them piglets. You have to find a nurse sow somewhere to take care of these extra piglets. But from a physiological point of view, what you're saying would uh, yeah, definitely uh, yeah. be valid. Well, it sounds, sounds like you can't retire. You still got some more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I don't yeah. know if I agree with it, but we'll see. I think we're moving on. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in that maybe your your work doesn't really, um, I know it doesn't focus specifically on this, but because we mentioned the high prolificacy and that we have sows that or even gilts that are having litters that they can't um, support. So how would your research, I guess, um, lead into or maybe affect the discussion around uh, sow longevity and the problem that we're having with, with uh, you know, such a high mortality rate in our, in our sows and, and, and replacement rate? Uh, it's difficult. There's not really some something that I'm doing now that relates to the longevity of the sows. All I'm doing is trying to maximize the milk that they produce while they are there. But what I can say is that longevity is so, so, so important. Because when you look at milk yield of a sow, well, the piriparis gives less milk than the second parity sow, and then it peaks around third and fourth lactation, and it still stays on around fifth, and then it goes down. So you have all the advantages of keeping a sow in your herd for at least four parodies, at least. And if you ask around, nobody does that, very rarely. So longevity is is important. I couldn't agree more. There are not many people who are doing studies on longevity, and it's something that is that is crucial. Even from a lactation biology standpoint, I mean, gills produce less milk. Why not keep the animal and have her in third and fourth lactation where her milk yield is maximal? So it's something that we need to look at. And longevity also uh, is related to all, to all these leg problems. We see a lot of these leg problems. And in fact, some work I'm doing relates to that because the growing gilt now, um, the new genetics that we have, they're really faster growing. And they grow so fast that they have more leg problems. So I had done a study early on and looking at feed restriction of the replacement gilts before puberty. Because as I mentioned, from 90 days of age to puberty, that's the first phase of rapid memory development. What do we know in terms of nutrition that can affect that? And feed restriction is one factor that can affect it. So the 20% feed restriction and that critical period will decrease memory development. Okay, 15 years ago when I did that study, nobody wanted to do any feed restriction, so it was not so relevant. But now it's different. Now producers tell me, can I restrict feed intake of my growing gill before mating because she's growing too fast and she has leg problems and longevity is not so good at the herd. So then I've done a recent study where I've done again the 20% feed restriction, but I also tried 10% saying maybe 10% will be good. Or I tried a feed that had 25% more crude fiber in it, so a dilution of energy by 5%, so that the animal has more volume in her stomach, so she feels feels like she's not so hungry anymore, but you've diluted the energy and the feed. And then what we've done is these animals uh, were allowed to farrow 
And then we looked at growth rate of the piglets. And this is a study by Nicole Gregory at the University of Guelph, which uh, she's a student with uh, Leanne Huber. So it was really interesting because what was found is in terms of growth rate of these piglets, there was no difference. So then I'm thinking, well, this makes no sense. They find over 20% feed restriction inhibits mammary development at puberty. It makes no sense that she produces as much milk. So I went back to the data. And what I realized is in my early study, the animals were not eating as much. So you had a control animal that was eating less than the control animal nowadays. Currently, the control animal was eating 3.5 kilos. So when you did a 20% restriction, it was 2.7 kilos. In my early study, the 20% restriction gave 2.1 kilos of feed intake per day. So now what I'm telling producers is there may be a minimum amount of feed intake required from 90 days of age to puberty, that period where you have rapid mammary development. All I know is 2.7 kilo per day is okay. 2.1 is not okay. I have no idea where in between the, the, the cutoff line is. So then I can tell a producer, yes, if you want to do some feed restriction, you can do feed restriction to 2.7 kilos. Below that, I have no idea. So more studies to be done, but that fits in with what you were saying about longevity of the animals. So if the animals grow, you know, a bit slower, they have less leg problems, then you may keep them in the herd for a longer period of time. So that's one study that kind of fit with that. Yeah, definitely means to... to start getting the producers to change the way they're thinking and that we don't always need to maximize <laughs> growth and everything, right? And we to, to focus on other factors as well and that eventually that'll be off. And they're starting to catch on because when you see all these leg problems and getting rid of animals way too soon in their productive life, then obviously you want to change something in the way that you, you raise these replacement guilts. And I always say, my goodness, these guilts, don't have the same objective, you know, same goal in life as a market pig. Please don't feed them the same way. Don't treat them the same way. You know, market pig is six months of age, goodbye. But the other one will stay in your herd for years and she will be producing a lot of milk. She will need her legs. She will need her mammary glands and she needs to be fed accordingly. So special attention really needs to be given to how we care about the replacement guilds. I think that leads in very well into my next question. So pers personally, I think that we need to be disruptors if we're going to advance the industry. So we need to challenge what's, what's currently questioned out there. So I, my question to you would be, what is something that you would put out there or suggest that most people are going to disagree with, but it's something that you really believe that we need to, 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 to change? Well, that face feeding is one because... When you tell producers or even feed companies, you know, and I've told a lot of feed companies, and some of them look at me and say, no, nope, impossible. Why? Well, no, we don't work that way now. We don't have the feeding systems or the producer. They don't have the number of bins. They don't have the feeding, you know, regime. I don't care what their reasons are, but I can tell them from a physiological point of view that that's where we're heading. But the nice thing is, I've said that for the past year and a half now, with those licensing results. And more and more feed companies are saying, yes, yes, we agree. Yes, we agree. Yes, we have to go with these systems where you can have different types of feed that are being used. 
I mean, we're getting better with time. It's not just feeding for 114 days the same thing. We have to feed according to requirements. So face feeding is definitely, to me, something that needs to be done. Some people will agree and some people will not agree. <laughs> but we're going there. I'm telling you, we're going there. <laughs> Eventually, I'm sure of that. I, I, I'm definitely one of the people that agree with you. I think it's interesting that... You know, we, we, we focus so much on the nutrient requirements and how they, those change over the lifetime of a growing pig. But we think that the sow is totally fine with the same diet with everything that she's having to do. <laughs> you know, it's just that's something that has not made sense to me. So I, I definitely agree with you there that we need to start looking at that. And hopefully, uh, you know, maybe with the, the move to group housing and, and more uh, ESF systems in that, we, we can start looking at that a little bit. Uh, a little bit more. Yeah, uh, but then with group housing, we have to make sure that we can control the individual feed intake. So you don't want everybody to just, you know, it could be even worse. You have a group of animals and the food is there and then the first one to get it gets what they want. So that that's even worse. So we have to be able to control how much everybody eats and what we give to them as of a certain stage of gestation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the chance for error is definitely greater when you go individual instead of feeding feeding groups. So, yeah, I I, I agree, but I think it's definitely we need to move and, and start to see movement in that direction. And hopefully, your your research with and with Leanne and that will start to you know look look a little bit more about how those requirements change and how we can uh, improve that. Um, so I know this is probably going to be a difficult question to answer, given all the research that you've done. Uh, if you had a main take-home message or one thing that you would say for producers that they should implement this right now, what what would that be? Well, I guess I would say look at your piglets. You know, first of all, uh, you have to make sure that these piglets, first they get colostrum early on, and then that they get milk. So if you're present at farrowing, that's one thing that is always good, to try to make sure that the little piglets get close to the other soon. They have to get, colostrum is available for 24 hours. That's it. So the sooner they get to the sow, the sooner they get colostrum, the greater chances they have. And uh, obviously, if you look at the animals in early lactation, you want to make sure that, you know, the, the very small piglets, there's no sense in keeping them, but you want to make sure that the other ones will have access to the gland. So give them the proper environment. And one thing that is also really important Personally, I think one teat, one piglet. What's the point in having 10 plates on a table with 14 people to feed? No way. So try to make sure you don't have more piglets than there are teats. To me, that's something important. You want to look at the quality of the teats and make sure that one teat has one piglet. Obviously, if you have too many piglets, then you have to find other solutions, but there are other solutions. And one of them is also to... Stop selecting to increase litter size. We're at a stage where litter size is just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> but as producers, <laughs> they've done a great job, but we need to move to something else now. <laughs> the producers need to make sure that there's one teat per piglet to me, and also that they get colostrum as soon as possible. That's the two things I guess I would say. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I was... I was at a meeting recently and they asked the specific question in a breakout session of how do we improve uh, litter performance and sow performance? And I said, 
reduce the number of pigs in the litter. And I was looked at like I had two heads. Like that was something that they had never considered, right? I think it's, but it's one of those things like, you know, we're, what's the point in having more piglets than, than the sow could ever, could ever support. So, no, I think that's, that's great. Um, okay, well, we're getting close to the end of our time. So um, I'll give you, before we move into the, the three questions that we ask everybody at the end, uh, is there any other, anything else on this topic that you would like to discuss that we haven't brought up or, or had a chance to discuss yet? No, I think that's pretty good. I just wish a lot more younger people would get into the field of lactation biology, but I don't have much control over that. So maybe somebody will listen and say, oh, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think we covered it. Hopefully we've sparked someone's interest <laughs> and, and, and they get, they have the opportunity to do that. And I think that would be, uh, that would be great if that, if that's what comes out of this. It's time for our famous three. Uh, the next part is we we ask um, all of our interviewees three questions that are somewhat related and somewhat not to the topic. Um, so the first one that we have is what is your favorite swine related book or resource that so you're all your your go to. <laughs> I'm gonna be very biased, and I will tell you my book. <laughs> I was gonna say other than your book. <laughs> yeah. It's the, well, I have two actually, but the first one I think is more related to sows is The Gestating and Lactating Sow. It was published by Wageningen Academic Publisher in 2015, I think it came out the first time around. Then it was translated in Chinese. And the most recent book is The Suckling and Wean Piglet. So depending on the interest, if you're more into piglets or more into sow, those are the two books that I've edited. And personally, they're my go-to. I mean, I will often put them in the corner of my desk and then look for something in it because I can't remember everything by heart. But uh, I definitely recommend them. So you go on the internet and you can find them easily. Yeah. No, I think I think it's great. I, I kind of expected that you were going to say your books. It's different. Hey, it's nice to hear somebody say something other than NRC. <laughs> so, oh, no. I, I favor my books. <laughs> no. no, that's great. Shameless, shameless plug, go out and buy Chantel's book today. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay, uh, our next question is uh, then what is your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? So this can be another resource. It can be a, like fiction or nonfiction book. I always say, if I'm not reading science, I'm reading murder mysteries. That's all there is to it. Somebody has to die. Otherwise, it's not interesting. <laughs> And if you're talking about specific authors, one that I favor is James Patterson. I mean, he's written hundreds of books and he has uh, specific detectives that I really like, like the Women Murder Club or uh, Michael Bennett. Anyway, so he has certain detectives, you know, characters that I really like and you follow them, you know, through the years. So if I'm not reading science, I'm reading murders. There's nothing in between. the <laughs> other. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, so, okay. Uh, and then finally, I guess, yeah. So finally, uh, our question would be, uh, what sets successful swine professionals apart from those who are not? And you can define success however you want when you're when you say that. In my mind, being successful is that what you're doing is being useful to the community. 
So I can write a lot of scientific papers and be very successful. I won awards. I'm really happy. Yes, that's a scientific success. But if it's nothing that's being used by producers, it ends there. So to me, being successful really means that what you're doing is useful to people in the field. So if I have client producers that are using recommendations that I'm giving to them because of my studies, then to me, that's really uh, being successful. And in terms of uh, being successful in your career, there's one thing I would like to, to recommend to people, and it's to follow your dreams. Don't give up. If there is, I truly, truly believe that if you love something and you work hard at something, you will be good. And if you're good, then you will achieve great things. So I tell people, you know, when I, I give a TED talk once and I said, don't give up, don't give up. And you have to love what you're doing. I, I talked to you about sales after 40 years and I still, it shows I love it. It's interesting to me. So you know, don't don't settle for something else. If you love something, go for it, work at it, and I'm confident that things will will come out. That's my word of wisdom. <laughs> I great advice. I think it's everything that, that you know a lot of us should should strive for and, and definitely strive for. So we can let the audience know that they too can be a city girl from Montreal <laughs> because I was the, the world leading expert in, in uh, memory development. So <laughs> I think that's great. Okay. Well, Chandel, it's been great. I always have a, I love, I love having conversations with you. I always have such a good time and learn so much. So thank you very much again for, for being on the show. It was my pleasure, Dan. I'm really, really happy that you were the host. It was nice to talk to you. We haven't seen each other in a little while, so that was a nice way to uh, reach out again. So thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure, and uh, I hope people will find this interesting. <laughs> yep. Hey, thank you very much.